Welcome to the I Have ADHD podcast, where it's all about education, encouragement, and coaching for adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Kristen Carter, and I have ADHD. Let's chat about the frustrations, humor, and challenges of adulting, relationships, working, and achieving with this neurodevelopmental disorder. I'll help you understand your unique brain, unlock your potential, and move from point A to point B. Hey, what is up? What is up? This is Kristen Carter, and you are listening to the I Have ADHD podcast, episode number 108. I am medicated, I am caffeinated, and I am ready to roll. How are you? It is so good to be with you today. I'm so glad that you decided to press play on this podcast. And I want to ask you, if you are new around here, have you subscribed yet? If you haven't, I highly encourage you to do so because here's the thing. If you have ADHD, your memory totally sucks. So you'll hear an episode or two and be like, that was great, and then forget all about it. So if you click that subscribe button, guess what happens? It just magically appears in your podcast feed every single week. And so my friend, take a second now as you're listening to this intro to head over, I don't know where, I don't know what platform you listen on, but like head over to that subscribe button, click it, and then magically I will be in your podcast feed once a week, every Tuesday. So much fun. I'm so pumped for today's episode. I am so pumped. I am always glad to continue the series. ADHD is not just for white people. And today I am incredibly honored to have my client Jennifer Daniels on the show. Jen totally bears her soul to all of us and talks about growing up as a biracial woman whose father was First Nations Canadian. We talk about all the things, ignorance, intergenerational trauma, creating an ADHD scaffolding, and using therapy and coaching to move into true healing. I know you will be so uplifted by what you hear today. But before we get rolling, as usual on these episodes, I want to highlight for you one of my black colleagues, Ada Sewell. Ada has ADHD, she coaches adults with ADHD, and I can personally vouch for her as she is a community manager in my focused program. I mean, she is so good. I love her. I have loved getting to know Ada over the last couple months, and um, the tagline on her website is everything. It says, creativity coaching that won't make your brain cry. <laughs> like the humor, the wit. I love it so much. So um, if you'd like to connect with Ada, visit her website, adasool.com, or find her on Instagram at Coach Ada Sewell. And of course, I will link her information in the show notes. All right, now here's my conversation on being indigenous and ADHD with my dear client, Jennifer Daniels. Well, thank you for being here. I no problem, so I love it. Good, I'm so glad. I'm so <laughs> looking forward to people hearing your story. So why don't you introduce yourself for us? Who okay. are you? What's your name? Where are you at? Tell us a little okay. bit about yourself. So my name is Jennifer. I'm 42 years old. Um, I'm married uh, to a wonderful man who has been such a good rock and support. He's my best friend. We have a wonderful dog named Tacoma, a golden retriever, and two cats. I hail from London, Ontario, Canada. 
my background in my career, I've worked in film and television, mm. in costume and wardrobe. Uh, that is what I went. I went to school for fashion design, but it kind of just like evolved out of the gates into like working in TV and film. And um, and then I kind of evolved into the world of retail and, and wholesale merchandising. I worked for a large apparel company and I've just sort of lived in the world of, of business for the last like, almost 10 years. Nice. I've had quite a quite a great adventure in my career. You know, uh, I love sports. As I mentioned, I love football and I love cooking tailgate food and I love baking and I love crafting and I love embroidery, <laughs> quilting. Like, And I actually just started a pottery class. I used to um, be in an art program that was like a three-year program in high school. Um, and it's something I still miss to this day. I miss that environment and that, that, that hub of creativity so I kind of took a step for the first time and just put myself out there and joined a pottery class. So I'm loving it. And so those are just some of the few things nice. about me. So this episode is one in the series of, you know, ADHD is not just for white people. So we're going right. to be talking a lot about your racial identity and how that played into your ADHD experience yes. as a child and now as an adult. So tell us a little bit about your racial identity. Okay. So, um, so my parents had me young, so, I mean, that wasn't unusual in the late seventies. You know, my, my mom was 19 when she had me and my dad uh, was 20, 21. My dad is native Canadian and he came from a family of nine kids so he is a baby boomer. Um, and my mother um, is white and has, you know, uh, I, like British ancestry, German ancestry. My grandmother's German. So she came from a working class household in a neighboring town. But my father and, and his family were associated with the Six Nations. So uh, with the Mohawk community that is just a, about an hour and a half away from where I live. Um, so that's my grandpa's side. And then my mother's grandmother's side um, is not far located, the the, res, the, the community, um, not far from London. I'd say like 20 minutes away. Oh, wow. So I'm a mixture of a couple of things on that side. So I am, I do identify as biracial uh, and I have a brother as well, who's younger than me. We uh, grew up in the city. And, you know, grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s, it was just, it's just unbelievable looking back, sort of like the perspective that people or the, the ideas and, and the stereotypes that they would have about uh, Indigenous people back then, like, it, it was not, it, it's not rare now, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, Indigenous folks that live in the city everywhere, all over. Um, but back then, like, you would get questions about you guys don't you guys live on the reservation right or or your your mom's white I just think everyone assumed that I would I was you know that I was living on a reservation they couldn't believe that I lived in the city hmm. that my parents were unwed that was not normal <laughs> I grew up on a street with a lot of Catholic families um working class yeah. Um, so we always kind of felt a little bit out of place there as well. So like, just uh, really, uh, we dealt with a lot of, uh, of that ignorance, I guess, like just misinformation or, or whatever. So it was very interesting. 
<laughs> um, I have a question yeah. about that. What, yeah. what is that like? Or if, if you're willing to kind of explore with me, like as a kid mm-hmm. or teen, having all of those questions being asked of you probably constantly, maybe every time you met oh, someone gosh. new. My brother and I would just start making stuff up. It was like people didn't have a filter or didn't yeah. think before they asked, they would just be like, are you native or are you Spanish yeah. or are you Portuguese? Why, first off, what are you? Like, I, right. I, I just don't understand why we, if you don't know, like it was a lot of the first time I would meet people that's the first thing we need to get out of the way, I guess. Like that's what people would ask me from the hop. And, and I, my brother and I would make fun of, like, we just, we shrugged it off or it would just become annoying because I don't owe you an explanation. If I'm willing to share with you or talk about that, I I will let you know. But I just think people were very um, more forward about it than they should have been. And I I felt like I, I, I had to owe them an explanation. Yes. What difference does it make? And if it's small talk, sure, I get, I appreciate small talk, which I hate, but um, <laughs> I respect that. But there are other things like you might want to talk about first. Maybe we get to know each other in other ways before we, totally. we go there. But totally. that's what it was like for us. And to this day, we sometimes still get that. It still comes up mm. once in a while. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the time, it's just people who are curious and want to know more um, and respect it, respect the culture and respect, you know, so it's out of respect more or less now, but it was quite, quite ignorant and kind of annoying for yeah. us. Yeah, I can imagine. And we will be chatting about um, this identity of like not fitting in. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that that must have perpetuated that for you over and over, just like another reminder or another like confirmation bias almost, you know, of of that. Yeah. So before we get there, tell me a little bit about your diagnosis experience. So you have ADHD. What has your journey been like in receiving that (sighs) diagnosis? (sighs) It's a heavy question. <laughs> I'm already exhausted. I haven't even answered yet. <laughs> um, growing up, I always knew, aside from the race factor, that there was something different about me. If it wasn't music and if it wasn't hands-on, I even loved science and biology because it was hands-on. Yeah. You know, art, anything that wasn't hands-on or anything that was boring to me, I didn't care. And I was always the kid that was like two steps behind in class if the teacher cracked a joke or asked a question and then I'd catch up and I was late to the party on laughing or even getting the jokes or or whatever um I just knew that I was this daydreaming kid that was a little bit different than the others and that carried through into high school um and I always had that feeling that vibe deep down inside and I never really thought to explore it. I didn't even think there was anything to explore because in the 80s, it wasn't on anyone's radar, really. You know, they were looking for the stereotypical troublemakers. I was a different kind of troublemaker. I was a class clown. But if I got in trouble, you know, I did get in trouble from time to time. But like, I always passed school. I always had somewhat decent grades. And I was always, you know, athletic and 
there was just something there that I think I just skimmed under that radar. Like mm. it was a very thin line, but when the teacher says I'm good enough to pass, it doesn't concern me that that was what could have been the issue. So I went throughout life thinking, oh, I'm just like, I guess I'm as good as the other kids, but I really like things that really interest me. And if it's boring, I don't want to show up for class. I don't care. So school had its ups and downs and I had my hyper-focused areas um, and throughout life. But like in my career, I got to this place where it became overwhelming for me and I was finding myself struggling and it was very frustrating um, as I had always achieved and worked my way up from the bottom in every place I've ever succeeded. Um, and, you know, there were all, always learning curves and for everyone, neurotypical or not. So like I, it wasn't until things got to a point where I was struggling and there was frustration and things were just sort of in my mind out of character surfacing mm. in my career, my work mm. that I was doing. Um, and, you know, I cared so much, obviously, about my career. That was sort of like the, the, the catalyst to really looking for answers. I was, I always say this, now I've adopted it, is don't, because I get frustrated and angry and go in these shame spirals and mm. wasn't doing me any good. And then I, when someone once said, and I can't remember where or what, but it said, don't get furious, get curious. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Ask yourself questions and you owe it to yourself. You own you. No one else does. The situation doesn't own you. You own your life and it's up to you to ask yourself the questions and to explore why the why find out the why like and that sort of is something that kind of became prevalent in my work life the why is a very predominant thing where I work where I come from in my career so I applied that to my to me personally and then I started hunting around on the internet looking um I talked to if I was seeing a therapist at the time just because I was in this place where I was so miserable, unhappy, ang anxious, and mm -hmm. depressed because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was so unhappy. And then she suggested, is this, do you think maybe you have something undiagnosed? And so, and I said, that's a good point. She's like, well, when you think about it, like look back in school, look back in certain places and try and remember if there's anything that might be an indicator. And so I took that, I took that to heart and I put that to work. And I, I did hunting on the internet. And to be honest, Kristen, that's where I kind of found you first wow. is I took the step and listened to the podcast. And just like, I had seen some things on the internet of the signs and do the test online and all that. And it all sort of started falling into place, but listening to you and put it into words and scenarios and sort of like, that's how it, things kind of stick with me or how I process things. Mm. As I started to hear more, it kind of scared the crap out of me because I'm like, this is real. This is not something that I can't wait any longer. Like I have to do something here. So I started researching um, assessment centers, found one in Toronto. Um, and that was about two years ago that I found them, uh, contacted them, um, and made arrangements with my doctor in this assessment center, I was on a long waiting list and I went in for an assessment and that was probably one of the heaviest days of my life because I was 
exploring things that I never realized. Um, and then a month later, they diagnosed me. I was diagnosed at the age of 41. Wow. And it felt like a relief. Um, but I also had that silly victim mentality is well, why me? Like I already have all these other things I'm dealing with and that, but why, why do I have to have it? You know, like, why do I have like, but I was like, no, this is a good thing. This is a blessing. You are lucky that you and fortunate that you have these resources. So I just kind of like, just had to put it all into perspective and see it as this is a, a gift to know um, and have this knowledge because knowledge is power and knowing more about me than ever I had ever known. I was like, wow, this explains so much throughout my life. This explains so much. And just, I'm still exploring things to this day that I, I was like, ah, okay. All those light bulb moments. I've had many along the way, but that was one of the biggest ones, getting, getting that momentum going, getting that diagnosis, that assessment, you know, all of that um, and feeling relieved. It just really took a lot of weight off my shoulders. And, yeah. and then from there, I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do about this? First thing I did was sign up for Focused. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When, how long have you been in? Um, I think I joined. Must be a while. Uh, last February, I think it was oh last February gosh. of 2020. That's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Before wow. the pandemic hit. Yeah. So <laughs> that made for a more complex, compounded situ learning curve situation, right? So totally. Because uh, I am a hands on person. It just, I'm certain it's the case for a lot of people. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, I've been a member since February and proud to be one to this day. And um, it's really helped open my eyes to so many other things. Um, I'm glad I joined. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. That's so <laughs> amazing. So what help have you implemented for yourself? So you've joined focused, have you chosen focused, yeah. to be medicated or have you chosen not to be medicated? What does that look so, like? So, um, I didn't look to get medicated right out of the gate. I, I wanted to start with the community first and the, mm -hmm. in that regard, that part of the support mm -hmm. that I could find immediately. I held off on the meds because I wasn't sure. And I kind of, I think listening to some people's adventures of medication in the community has sort of helped give me an idea of what to expect. It is a trial and error. It's going to take some time. Yeah. What you try first may not work out right. You might have to try this or that. So I think I was just trying to gather the information first to see what it would entail to try medication um, before I went ahead and proceeded with that, it got, but yeah, like, I think it was probably about three to four months after my diagnosis that I, I touched, reached out to my doctor said, you know, with a diagnosis, I'd like to explore medication options. So I've actually been working with a wonderful nurse practitioner who has been guiding me through that. And I would say, um, it's taken almost a year. Yeah to find the right medication and the yeah. right dosage yeah. that works for me. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to mention, and I wonder if our community out there, our members are dealing with this as well. So I was also diagnosed a few months later with sleep apnea. Um, I've spent my whole life, well, we all have a hard time falling asleep and I've never like I, I struggled my whole life, even when I was a kid having poor sleep, having low energy, 
Um, and I took it upon myself. I'm like, well, now that I've explored this one part of my life, I think we need to start addressing. It motivated me to address other wow. areas that needed attention. And I must say, like with that diagnosis, I feel like that in combination with what I'm trying with ADHD has helped immensely. Um, I've been on a CPAP machine. I um, have actual restful sleep just starting to now. It's been a few months. It takes time. So I feel like now that I've had the right medication and the effects of the sleep apnea, my symptoms are, 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 are like under wow. control a little bit better because wow. I'm getting the rest and I'm able to stay better focused um, from both of those areas, mm. thanks to both of them, because I found that lack of sleep really exacerbated my, my symptoms and I've seen a massive improvement with those two things. That's amazing. I would just yeah. love, since you brought it up, like what should people look out for? Like if someone's listening and they're like curious if maybe sleep apnea is a thing for them too, mm-hmm. what are things that they might want to look for? To know? Um, if, if you have a high blood pressure, um, that is one big factor. If you have a dry throat when you wake up, do you have migraines? I have migraines, a dry throat all the time. I found that I got sick more with colds and, and, and sinus problems, had a hard time waking up and I would always be low energy. I felt like I was at the bottom of the tank all day, every day. Mm. Um, and it was, it was always obviously hard to stay focused in things like meetings or whatever. If you really, really, really struggle with focusing in thing in settings that are like that, those all could be things to look out for. Um, I can certainly say I haven't had a migraine since, and I have not, um, I have not had a sore throat or sinus problems or anything like that that I've, and I don't snore, which my husband is grateful for. <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. Yeah, snoring is a big part. Okay. So snoring is a big part. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah. I love that your step of getting an ADHD diagnosis was a motivator and a catalyst mm-hmm. for you to say like, okay, what other areas of my life could mm-hmm. I improve by exactly. maybe exploring and getting a diagnosis and, and treatment for right. I love that? Yeah. And, uh, and it's sort of branched out to other areas like you know, tonsils, if you have large tonsils that can be associated mm. with sleep, with, uh, with sleep apnea, I was going to ear, nose and throat doctor and, and ruling that out. Just like now that I've got that ball rolling, um, and this is a good, good thing for people out there who are waffling or, or, or struggling with taking that first step. The first step is, is definitely, it may not be easy, but nothing comes easy. And what's on the other side is wonderful and there's a whole new world to explore out there like I I hated going to the doctor I hated I avoided the dentist the doc I avoided so many things over the years um but once you get going it's great and you got to take care of yourself on every level physically mentally like it all connects all of it yes totally agree so medication is is I'm so happy to find a place and so right now Um, I don't have a therapist. I don't have it covered. Mm. So I'm trying to explore, um, therapy because it is definitely something that I have to get back into. Mm. Um, so for, for me, the struggle is finding 
subsidized therapy or access to therapy that can, can sort of focus on the trauma and the ADHD. Um, but I'm fortunate that in my, in my first nations community that I am registered to, there's lots of wonderful health and well-being resources that they offer virtually. Um, you know, when there's no pandemic, there's a lot of like hands-on and in-person stuff, but they try to make those programs and, and resources offered to the community, you know, and we do, they do offer therapy. And the great thing about that is that they have that deep understanding of those patterns of the trauma, um, and the effects on First Nations people. So I'm exploring that as an option. And maybe it's a matter of trying to find out what else is out there that I can sort of address the ADHD piece as well. So it's going to take a bit of a village really for me. (laughs) I feel like it does. Yes. I totally love that. And, and I was just recording a podcast right before you and I met together, Mm -hmm. which will be out by the time that this podcast is out about the scaffolding that we need. And I I think that's what you're describing is like your specific like mm-hmm. specific to you, your specific right. scaffolding. Um, and you brought up trauma and I would love to explore this with you. And I just want to take a minute and say thank you mm-hmm. for being willing to talk about this mm-hmm. on this podcast, because talking about trauma and, and bringing up these memories, it is difficult. And I'm actually back in therapy as well. And, and I just know the um, heaviness of kind of stirring up the past. And I know that, 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 that is not easy. And so I just want to honor that um, Mm -hmm. willingness in you. Thank you so much for being willing to do that. Yes, absolutely. And I, I know that for you as a first nations Canadian intergenerational trauma was huge. And I would assume for a lot of my BIPOC listeners that intergenerational trauma is something that they've struggled with as well. And it's something that we've never spoken of on this podcast. So would you be willing to tell us a little bit about your experience and how that kind of played into your story? Yes. As I mentioned before, my parents had me quite young. My father's family is Native And I never really knew much about our background. I never really knew much about our culture. I was never taught. It was never really talked about. You know, I think the most experience I had as a child growing up was going to community gatherings um, and powwows and things like that that took place. And we would just go to eat and hang out and socialize and, you know, see the, the art and the, and the crafts and just sort of like spending time being exposed to the culture from that perspective. But when it came to the deep history and it came to my family history, no one shared that with me. The adults in my life didn't share that with me or my brother. And I never asked, but it always just seemed like there was this, I don't know, this cloud of something that sat over us as a family that something sad or something, you know, maybe there's tragedy in the past or whatever. And there's been a lot of tragedies in my family. We've lost a lot of loved ones over the years, far too young, especially. Um, And that's, that's a, we had a, we have a big family. We just never asked questions and my brother and I. So 
I think um, as I've learned, come to learn today, my aunt who has been very willing and open to share some history with me, I, I, I sat down with her and I had conversations about what do you know? I think I'm ready to ask because I was always afraid to ask questions in general as a person in any way, shape or form. So I, I just wanted her to give me an overview. Like, where do we come from? Who is my great grandfather? Who are my great grandparents? And she shared some wonderful information with me that I was so found so fascinating and couldn't believe it. And and I used to just shake off that I didn't really need to know much. I didn't need to know anything. I haven't been told, so I guess I don't really need to know. And my aunt shared that my grandfather, I believe, was in a residential school. And as people know, residential schools, you know, had existed, you know, from the late 1800s and for about 100 years. Like there were, I was told there were still some of the last residential schools existed even in the early 90s Mm. the experience there was 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 terrible kids lost their lives running away and kids went missing the kids that left carried years and years of pain from the experience and then those kids have families and then those kids have families and as you would know our parents come from a place, those generations prior to us, you, they, you don't talk about things. You don't talk about those heavy things. You kept it quiet. Like, you know, people always tell me about grandparents that were in the war. You never asked them. And they, the, there was an unspoken, you just never talked about it. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, people who were born out of wedlock you didn't talk about that but the parents got married you know and and those kind that's those are the generations and how they didn't talk there was that's just how it is and so we're dealing with compounded generations of not dealing with it not processing it not sharing it not getting it out of them in a cathartic and healing way and it came out in other ways it came out in abuse physically mentally you know, alcoholism and, and drug use, um, addiction, and so many other, other ways. Now that I know what I know, I can understand why my household was the way that it was. And it wasn't a great place for a child to be. It was not, not the most nurturing environment. And it, it was my brother and I walking on eggshells. Like we, I felt like I didn't have the full childhood experience. I was sort of afraid every day or, or uh, a worrying and a kid shouldn't worry. I spent my childhood worrying about not having the things that other kids had. We were low income. Um, I couldn't always go on class trips and my parents didn't always have a car and my parents were always different than the other parents. So that, that gives a child a, well, kids are mean naturally like about these things. And so then it gives you a complex and then you're self-conscious about not having the money and the security that the other kids have. And why are we moving again? Or, you know, um, and I, I, I grew up in a household that, that if I spoke back, it was trouble. It was bad. And I, and I, my brother and I endured a lot of painful times and, and witnessed a lot of things that, that children shouldn't have to see. It wasn't until my brother and I were older that we understood that there was 
undealt pain, that there was, um, how did I hear it? That this inner, this intergenerational thing is basically passing on the pain that was not dealt with. And there's a lot of pain rooted there. And I, I, I thought, well, you just get older and you move on. And then once it's away from you, like, um, that's it. But no, it, it, it carries on with you until you're ready, until you're willing, until you want to deal with it. So when my parents split up and it was for the greater good, (laughs) I had a lot of anger and frustration and years of not having the freedom that a child would have. And it built up and I was like this, this pressure cooker by the time I was 15 and I was angry and I was furious. And so compound that with the unknown of the ADHD that's there. And then the anger and the trauma built up made for a very interesting time for my mother, my poor dear mother who did her best. She did the best she could, but I gave her a run for her money. I was a problem child essentially. And I I wanted to make up for lost time, right? Do what I wanted to do. And um, my brother, my poor brother, he he just did what he was supposed to do. He was did what he was told, but I was this free-spirited jerk of a, a kid. <laughs> but I always had these visions. I was always creative. The creative one of my brother was the the jock or the sports guy. And yeah. and I I just I think I was just trying to escape whatever needed to be dealt with. And I was put in therapy for anger issues. And I was very much a hothead and I rejected it all. I rejected it all. And I, I didn't want, and I wasn't ready, I guess. Um, and that even carried on into my twenties and my thirties in a lot of other ways. And there's a lot of things I can't go back and fix. And so I get to live with these things, but I'm learning to, uh, what is that? Pardon myself. (laughs) So good. I just got to chill. A lot of pardoning happening up in here. So it's really carried on into my life. And sadly, that's enough in itself to to deal with the intergenerational trauma. But then you're taking ADHD and it's just become so much more compounded. I have to like almost double learn. (laughs) I'm learning from two different angles, I guess you could say on how to become Gen 2.0 <laughs> through the avenues of the trauma and the ADHD and, and coming together as one to be my better version of me that I'm striving to be. So it's just that much more complex, but anyone that knows me knows that things are always complicated with me. I'm, I'm the queen of not being simple or, you know, I have my husband's the best sounding board, yeah. you know, like it's wonderful if you have that person in your life that brings you down from the clouds of confusion or, mm. you know, the overthinking of everything. So, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy uh, journey, right? You know, it's, it's very challenging and I'm, I'm so happy to have this knowledge to move ahead, right? And forge ahead. So, yeah. What does Jen 2.0 look like? Like when you envision her, because I think you're pretty freaking awesome right now. 
Thank you. And my interaction with you, I'm like, this is Gen 2.0. But but what's your perspective when you think about the future um, you? What's different about her? I think that I have a lot of work to do um, in terms of changing my thought patterns that I've made a habit of mm. using for 36 years, still struggling to change my narrative on things, still struggling to, to give myself credit, yeah. uh, to um, think in an objective manner and not resorting to those terrible thought pattern habits that mm. are hard to shake. Like that is sort of like the 2.0 I imagine is the person that knows how to manage or handle things when the ADHD gremlins want to take over in your mind, learning how to like reel it back in, learning how to navigate and identifying red flags and just sort of like finding the way to navigate and what works for me um, and to be, I think, happy. There's been no happiness for a long time. I was sad, still feel sad a little bit, but Gen 2.0 has to get a grip and better manage those gremlins and navigate to get what she wants and to do it with confidence and to tell shame to take a hike because I feel like that shame cloud still hangs over my head, no matter how hard I try to fight it, that I could just be one day, just screw off shame. Like just don't even start, like just <laughs> get the heck out of here. I don't need you. Like, it's just um, mm. getting better at those thought patterns, you know? Mm. And that's why I'm fascinated with maybe exploring neuroelasticity and yes you know, all of those other things that we have out there to explore. So, but one step at a time, like we got to yes. deal with the healing and the pain and, and the history and to try and just get through all that and, and just take it to the next step. So it's always going to be um, work in progress for the rest of my life. That's yeah. that maintenance will always be needed. And, and that's another part of the 2.0 consistency is a struggle. But to just do your best, don't yeah. beat yourself up and keep working on it no matter how you can, just as long as you keep working on it, right? Totally. So Persistent. Yes, absolutely. Love it. When we were corresponding via email, one of the, the themes of your life, basically, that, that I was noticing was this, this thought pattern of like, I do not fit in. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of evidence for that, yes. right? And there's, yes, I do. there's been a lot of um, just bias and aggressions or microaggressions or whatever, like so many things that have fed into that narrative. Mm -hmm. But tell me a little bit about how you recognize like, oh, this is a thought. Like I don't fit in is a thought. Like mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that journey for you. Okay. When I was growing up and, and dealing with all the dealing with all of the the, the noise of, of growing up as a a biracial indigenous child ex, you know experiencing racism directly from other kids mm. and experiencing racism even from other children's parents like we don't want you playing with them like those kids like 
it, it existed. Out, it was ugly and nasty. I just can't believe when I look back even to think that that existed, you know, and then just always feeling different because of my family structure or, or dynamic. Um, and the worst thing, I think the worst, one of the worst enemies is comparing yourself. And that's just like something that sort of was also there comparing yourself. And so that's how my life was sort of like framed from the get go or whatever of, of feeling like you didn't fit in. It carried on to a point. Well, I guess when I got into high school, like I didn't even feel like I fit in with other native people. Like if I wasn't full native, it didn't matter. Like you're only half kind of thing. Like that was the attitude. Like in my high school, there was a lot of tension because there were the native there was the native crowd, like, and there were a lot of crowds in, you know, um, minorities that sort of stayed in their bubble that had their own social bubble. There was a lot of that in my high school. My high school was a wonderful high school. It was extremely diverse um, and, and cultured and just, it was a great school. And I talk about it all the time, how great that that school is. And a lot of other people from other schools ended up going there. That's just how great it was. But like, there was that tension between different groups. And I didn't feel like I was accepted because I was half. And then I felt like I wasn't accepted because I wasn't all white. But, you know, so like, that's how I felt in high school. And then it carried on into like my, my college days and my, you know, post-college getting into the work field. I kind of almost became, it became a habit in my narrative to just already resort that I was not fitting in. And so I would get this guard or I would not let people in because I didn't want rejection, didn't want to get that anymore. So I just almost like almost already automatically went there to the corner of the room and assumed that I wasn't fitting in. And I even noticed that carried on like when I met my husband in social settings, other married couples and other, you know, his friends, I just kind of always thought, well, they all went to the same high school. They're all close. They've known each other for a long time. I just already automatically resorted to um, not fitting in. And the thing is, is like, that wasn't always true, you know? Mm so many wonderful people in my life I I I've connected with and became good friends with and that wasn't what was going on it was all up here you know and I I probably missed out on some good friendships some real whole friendships because I was too busy protecting myself or 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 already dictating what the situation was going to be and so that you're missing out on that. And there were times when I look back where I'm still really good friends, made some really good friends that I love and they're the greatest people and so happy they're in my life. And I was, I, the line was so thin that I, I would dismiss them or assume we wouldn't, I wouldn't like them. And I'm so glad I didn't go to the, go there because now I have these great people. So it makes you wonder how many people you've missed out on, but you can't look back. You just got to move ahead and know that that's not how it is. And don't let that thought control what the outcome is for you. If you haven't even given these people a chance, why is it up to them to reach out to me? Like, you know, like, so I've learned so much and and I've learned this and it, and I realized this 
this bad thought and what I, what was going on. I didn't realize that until like maybe five months ago, like it didn't hit me. And that comes with that involvement I was explaining earlier. Yeah. yeah. How did so, it hit you? Do you remember? Oh gosh. I think it hit me. How? Um, I think again, in the times of pandemic, not seeing people. And I'm an, I was always like late self-labeling as antisocial and introverted, which I can be, but I was like, when I got to that point, like a lot of people did, were like, I'm actually missing people I don't like, where you're like <laughs> missing stuff and people and things and human contact. I think that is when it happened was um, maybe over the summer when we were allowed to actually interact again with people and go places. And I was starting to see what it's like when you have no choice and you can't socialize and now you can. And I think that's when it hit me with it. I was like, Somehow I talk to people, strangers and people I don't know naturally now because I don't let that thing get in the way. I'm like, I just noticed I had no guard up. I was wow. so happy to just see people that I that I made these realizations. I think that's when it came up. That's so fascinating. Yeah. That is so fascinating. So how are you working to unravel those narratives? Because the thing is like racism exists and mm -hmm. you've experienced that and mm -hmm. not fitting in exists, mm -hmm. right? Rejection exists. Like all of those things um, are actual facts that exist in the world. And then we also have this layer of the protective story that we've created for ourselves mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm not even going to bother try so yeah. that I protect myself from rejection, mm -hmm. which is completely understandable, right? It's mm -hmm. so understandable. And, and in some ways we're all operating out of our traumas, right? We're all mm -hmm. in this like protective stance. Um, so how are you working to unravel these things still knowing though, that like racism does exist and rejection and not fitting in exists. How do you balance that? I guess is my question. And I don't even know if there's a good answer. I'm just curious. Um, I think that I kind of have to approach the way I think I feel I need to approach it is that they're two, two separate things that sometimes have to be dealt with separately. I don't know mm. if that makes sense, but I think that now that there is a more of an understanding and awareness now out there about the racism, about yeah. the First Nations people and the whole reconciliation thing, you know, I think the awareness is out there. There's still a lot more to do with that. Um, so much has to change. So much has to be done. Um, I think that Luckily, that awareness, I think I'm already that even that and some friends, like I have some wonderful friends who want to educate themselves more about it. I think having mm. having that support, having that awareness already out there helps with that whole fitting in narrative. I think that it's changed a lot over the years. It was once more of a struggle, but it's still a struggle. I, I don't know how else to word it, but how to unravel that and, and balance both. I just think that I take things with a grain of salt, try to keep educating myself and, and knowing in my ADHD brain that things have evolved 
but we still got a lot of work to do and that I just have to work through things when the thoughts come through. I have to learn to manage those thoughts and know how far we've evolved so far with the, the First Nations issues and all of that and being Indigenous, I think, and, and taking what I've learned in my coaching and in my community and just sort of like taking it all step by step and kind of like, yeah. it's a little bit delicate right now for me, but I think if I just keep working away at those areas, the best way that I know in a positive manner, that's constructive. I think it'll get better in time and in practice yeah. and that it'll hopefully come naturally that I'll have trained my brain. I have to say, I never used to be one that kind of was curious about their culture. I, I, if anything, there was some shame there yeah. because people made you feel shameful. Yeah. You know, like it was just everything I've described to you in my life, all the events, like it's amazing. Like I already had the shame from being this race that people had a stereotype attitude about. And, and then I had the ADHD and that just made it even more of a snowball. But, you know, um, now that I'm educated and trying, trying to um, do, do more and bring more awareness, I, and, and exploring my culture, because I didn't think that I needed to do that, but I very much did. Um, and knowing everything I know already about my history made me feel like there was a void that was fulfilled there I feel like more complete um so you know there was a time where there was shame but this is who I am and I'm embracing it I am educating myself there's a lot more education that I need to learn because it was embarrassing and people asked me things I didn't know how to answer it so I'm proud I'm proud and I'll always do what I can to 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 share my story and help others out there and, and to do myself justice and to, to try and do what I can for our people and, and, and for our community in the ADHD world. So it's a lot of work and you got to be kind to yourself and, and ask questions, always ask questions. Mm. Me being afraid of asking questions can be the one little thing that keeps you from evolving and, and, and exploring and, and finding out how much more greatness you can achieve in your life. So I don't know. That was a loaded question. I love that. Was a really, that was a really <laughs> hard question. And I love, I love that answer. I appreciate that so much. And of course, there's not like a right answer or a wrong answer. I'm still kind of learning as yeah. I go along, I think I'll always find new angles or explore a better way, you know, to, to grasp these things, to mm -hmm. sort of tackle them and, and, you know, so always learning. And that's a good thing. Continuous learning is important. What I was thinking of when you were speaking, and mm -hmm. I'm curious if this is kind of like in a nutshell, what you were saying, what I was thinking of is that when you said you're thinking about it as two separate things, mm -hmm. maybe what you were, what you were saying is like, there is racism and of course it's horrible. And of course you experience it mm -hmm. and it's a real thing. And then there's my thoughts that are holding me back 
And that's Mm -hmm. a separate thing. And they don't Mm -hmm. have to be intertwined. Like there's racism and I'm going to deal with that. And I'm going to build up my own protective mechanisms and I'm going to build up my own cultural identity and all of that, Mm -hmm. but it's still going to be there and it's still going to be hard. But then there's my own thought over here that I, that you notice now is holding you back that Mm -hmm. you notice now, like, oh, this has, this is a thought and it's, this is not necessarily always the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm. Um, And I just want to mention imposter syndrome. That is something I've struggled with in a lot of situations. And I never really knew that was a thing until I joined this community. And I'm so glad I know about it. Knowing these things have sort of empowered me to be more self-aware. And I think that also is a contributing factor to these unhealthy thoughts that I'm, that I've lived with and made a habit of using and not you know I didn't even know it like of course that's the thing like we've all until we get our diagnosis have had these blind spots we didn't even know existed until someone just told you or you realized or you heard a story or something resonates with you or hits you and it's a nerve yes ah yes okay so yeah I uh I had lots of blind spots. I still have some and I'm still working on them, you know? So totally. that's why I'm so thankful that you are willing to share your story because I do really believe, and actually I'm becoming more and more convinced of this as I talk to you and other clients that like story is so important. Our it stories is. are so important and to hear the feedback in focused from these episodes where you're willing to be vulnerable, you're willing to be honest, you're willing to kind of like relive these painful moments. It is unlocking something inside of other people who are listening. And it's such a gift that you're giving. It's such a gift. I appreciate it. It's just been a, it's been a long and winding road, you know, like years of not knowing a lot, no knowledge, Yeah. you know, and, and, you know, losing friends, hurting people, all those, those, those residual effects, Mm. you know, not even knowing that and realizing that I was hurting others or hurting myself, burning bridges or or being careless and not taking care of myself. Like all of those, those, you know, byproducts. I just think that sharing the story of how you, you come out of all that is going to help others because others might be living in those places right now and not really knowing how to make the right step to where they need to go hearing other people's stories I think I think that's how I managed to get that first foot in the door to seeking that diagnosis you know so So some of it was your stories you know like uh, that sort of gave me that push mm. so and you have this great community you put, you, 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 you started and it's grown. Like, this is, this is telling you right here. This is, this is proof that there is something more for you to build your life and, and, and do the work. And, and there's hope if you, I felt hopeless so many times, yeah. like I have hope for the first time in so long. Like I've never, it's such a shock to my system. <laughs> So there is hope for those people out there and and take that first step. 
So that was going to be my closing question. And I think mm -hmm. you just answered it, but I'll give you a, a second to, to add anything else that you might want to add. My last question is like, what words of encouragement might you have for my indigenous listeners, whether mm -hmm. they're native Canadian or native American or any native anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, what encouragement might you have for them if they're maybe considering a diagnosis or considering like wading into the past, like trauma stuff and the, the intergenerational kind of like cloud that might yeah. be hanging over that, that seems like, my gosh, this is so overwhelming. I don't even want to touch it. Like what, yeah. what, what words of like soothing <laughs> calm yeah. might you have for them? Again, my favorite saying is don't get furious, get curious. Mm. Um, Look at things how they are now and ask yourself what you can do to help yourself to become what it is you want to be. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, and that's where I was, I was overwhelmed to a point where I didn't know what's the first step. Who do I ask? What do I do? Yeah. You know, this is all new. This could be all new to someone, this, this, these realizations or, or the idea that maybe you have ADHD. Just know that, um, just know that you need to take that first step somehow. And it could be as simple as telling a friend or a family member first. Um, there's no shame in taking that first step and sharing it with someone. Um, when I made that first step of sharing with someone in particular, it turned out that their husband had ADHD. Wow. And we never talked about that before. She shared that with me when I had the idea that this was what it was that I had. And that was probably the best thing I ever did. You just never know who might wow. you reach out to might know something or someone. Yeah. So from there, I would reach out to him and he currently is always willing to offer support anytime. So it's going to take you out of your comfort zone, that first step. And things might not be easy towards getting a diagnosis or treatment, but you'll grow and evolve more through that process. It takes work, but uh, just know that there are communities out there waiting to support you because I feel like the resources out there right now, and especially for ADHDs, ADHDers with adults, mm -hmm. it's out there, the resources um, to support you along the way. Honestly, the Slack program or the Slack um, community is wonderful. It's like the best sounding board, you know? So the effects of community support makes a world of difference. Huge, huge. So the first step is what it takes. I mean, just look, I, I, it started with one thing and then it snowballed and branched out into other areas of, it made me more motivated to want to find out what else I could do. Sleep apnea thing. Like, yeah, it's just amazing how everything is connected. Um, so that first step is all it takes. That's so beautiful. And I think that you speaking of this first step is so important because I think for most of us, the first step there is the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> the first is. step is like, some people describe it as like the wall of awful, you know, like right. the wall of awful between where you are now and that first step is just gigantic. And so right. the encouragement that you give there is just beautiful because so, I think, yeah. And for my fellow indigenous people, we, we do 
it, it may vary from community to community. Maybe some aren't comfortable with sharing that with their community. But there's a community out there somewhere that will support you and embrace you. If you want to be private about it, you don't want to involve your, your community. But then, you know, maybe some I, want, I would advise or suggest, suggest rather, um, take advantage of the resources that your community would offer you. I don't know. The range probably is different and varies, right? So if you're willing to share it with your community or you, you want to take advantage, like just take advantage of what, what might be available for you. Yeah. Either way, you're going to have a community to support you. And that I think is a major factor in your, in your journey. It is for me and I'm, and I'm preaching about it. And this is coming from someone who is quiet sometimes and like shy. And that's what I can say. And I hope that that can help someone out there. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I appreciate you so much. (laughs) Thank you for coming and for, for sharing your story and for just the encouragement that you offer. You're so soothing to chat with. And I know that you are going to be encouraging so many listeners. So I appreciate you. A few years ago, I went looking for help. I wanted to find someone to teach me how to feel better about myself and to help me improve my organization, productivity, time management, emotional regulation, you know, all the things that we adults with ADHD struggle with. But I couldn't find anything. So I researched and I studied and I hired coaches and I figured it out. And then I created Focused for you. Focused is my monthly coaching membership where I teach educated professional adults how to accept their ADHD brain and hijack their ability to get stuff done. Hundreds of people from all over the world are already benefiting from this program and I'm confident that you will too. Go to IHaveADHD.com slash focused for all the details.